good to be here. It's good to have you here tonight, Wednesday night, the middle of the week. We come together. It's good tonight, special to have our Truth Seekers team with us, and we, we are glad to have you. Um, we are, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8. Last week we asked uh, you to list several things that you can praise God for based on this passage. So I'm going to go over um, some of those, some that I've listed. And first of all, just uh, what is this passage teaching us? It's <coughs> teaching us that God has given us his Holy Spirit to encourage us, to help us, to build us up, to strengthen us so that we can, um, we can have, have the source. We have the energy. We have the strength that we need to live the way that he wants us to live. And that way is to be, have victory over sin. Sin is a great challenge to us as believers, but because of what Christ has done, he died on the cross, forgave us of our sins, but he didn't stop there. He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us so that we could, we could win the battle um, against sin. Remember, if you remember uh, from Romans chapter 7, Paul is saying this, this sin is intense and I can't do the things that I'd like to do in my own strength. The things that I want to do, I find myself in, unable to do. Uh, the things that I should do uh, or things that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing and losing that battle. And, and uh, then in chapter 8, he introduces us to that secret, the secret sauce, the secret power of uh, the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to live uh, and be victorious over um, sin and Satan in our lives. So <clears throat> he's, and then he makes a contrast between living life in the spirit and living life according to the law. And we know that the law condemns, right? So today what that means is trying to do things in our own strength, trying to be righteous in our own power. That is equated to living according to the law or trying to to gain a righteousness with God by obedience to the law. It just does not work. So what he introduces us to is life in the spirit. Obedience, the Christians should gain obedience by the strength of the Holy Spirit. So he starts off in verse 1, says, we, There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We're no longer condemned. So we're free from the judgment that the law normally would bring. Um, and then he talks about, that he, God has given us this Holy Spirit so that we would live in obedience to him. Um, verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So he gives us, the again, the secret sauce. Um, he reminds us that each believer has been given the Holy Spirit, and, and, and that's a good thing. How do you know that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Well, first of all, if you came to trust Christ, that's why you came to trust Christ, not on your own, not in your own strength, but because the Holy Spirit came and brought you. He, it's like he opened your eyes and let you see um, the Lord Jesus Christ. He also reminds us that we will be like Christ. We will reign like Christ, but we will also suffer like Christ. And um, so some, sometimes that's like some, some negative news. We don't like always hearing that. Um, but he gives us the hope 
verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In other words, we're going to have some struggles, but we are to keep in mind that we will um, we'll be in heaven one day. And our, our suffering will be over. Do you know anyone who knew the Lord who no longer lives here but is in heaven now? How do you think of that person? You can think of them as no longer facing the struggles and the challenges uh, against this world, against sin. And we talk about this world as even old age is, is this world. In fact, he, he tells us, he says, um, the creation was subjected to futility. And it says, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly and wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for, or in other words, we look forward to the day when our bodies are going to be changed um, and redeemed. So, those of you who have colds today, those of you who have congestion, stuffy nose, headaches, those of you who have gray hair, those of you who have aching bodies, those of you who, um, hey, all of us are getting older and suffering from that age. Sometimes in our youth, we just think, you know, we're at the top of the world and, and everything is going great. And God kind of reminds us a little bit that... Uh, yeah, you got something better than what you have right now to look forward to. And that's the redemption of our bodies, that, that we're going to go and be with the Lord. also reminds us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our present state of mind. He also helps us in our prayer. It's interesting in this whole chapter, we see that we have two intercessors for us. We have the Holy Spirit who prays on our behalf. And we have Jesus himself who's standing at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's praying for us. And so the, the point there is, Christian, be encouraged. Know that God is on your side. Know that God has given you the strength that you need to fight this battle. Christians, we get discouraged sometimes, but we should never lose hope. We can be discouraged sometimes. That's, that's because of our circumstances can get us down. They shouldn't. But when that happens, we, we ought to remember we should never lose hope. And then he gives us some of the greatest encouragement and greatest reasons why we should never lose hope. And I'm going to read this section and uh, walk through very briefly some of the benefits. That started at verse 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? So you can see he's summarizing everything, right? And this is his summary. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have to remind ourselves with that thought. And the thought is not just if God. He's already proven that he's for us. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And he breaks it down. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The point there, if God has proved his commitment to us by sending his own son, if he's done that, then he's shown that he will hold back nothing good from us. 
He will provide for us everything that we need. Now, this is the week of Resurrection Sunday. It's the week that we remember what Christ sacrificed. And we need to remember, if God gave this much for our salvation, then he certainly will fulfill everything that he has promised and everything that we need, both now and in the life to come. It says he did not spare his own son. That reminds me of the story of Abraham when uh, in Genesis 22, and God told Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. He, he emphasized your only son, Isaac. In other words, his promised son, the one that God said that God would use to help Abraham become the father of the, the, uh, the, the son of promise, the, um, the father of many nations. And uh, Abraham had a great challenge, but he decided he was going to obey God because he trusted that even if, if he had killed his own son as a sacrifice, God would resurrect him and bring him back to life. So it says God did not spare his own son, but he gave him for us. God told Abraham, when Abraham lifted up his sword to kill, to kill Isaac, he says, wait, Abraham, don't do it. Don't do it. So he spared Abraham from killing his son, Isaac. Think about that. But when it came to Jesus, no voice came from heaven to say, wait. He was not spared. He was killed. He was put to death for our sins. God did not spare his son. He allowed him to die for us. If God gave the life of his very own son, He's saying, I will give any and everything that you need. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? At those times when we feel, you know, the Bible tells us Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. You ever have a tattler? Why do we tell our children not to tattle? It's not because we don't want them to tell the truth. We don't want them to get in the business of pointing out everybody else's sin and not looking at their own. Satan is the father of lies. He's the originator of sin. And he is the accuser of the brother. He's always pointing his finger at us when we do wrong. And he's, God says in his word here, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean Satan can't say anything bad about me or point out anything that I've done wrong? He certainly can, and he does all the time. In spite of what he points out, my father says, that's been paid for. That's been covered. He's been forgiven for that. He's completely forgiven. And that's a, that's a great blessing that we have. And why do we have this blessing? He said, it's God who justifies. How does God justify? Through his son. It is Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. The point there is Jesus died to pay for our sin. And when he was raised, it shows God's approval. And so God says, no, I count my son's death as sufficient to pay for your sin, for my sin. 
And so we are justified. And then he goes through this long list. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? He gives encouragement. And then he, he, he gives just, I don't know what you call it, um, a bit of encouragement with, with um, just a spark of just a jolt of truth, really. And he says this, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. But he says this in verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. He's saying life here on earth, the righteous suffer because of sin. We can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and to their first two sons. Anybody remember the names of their first two sons, right? Cain and Abel. Which one was the righteous one? Abel was the righteous one. Which one got killed? Abel. He got killed by the unrighteous one, the wicked one, Cain. The first two children to live. The one righteous one was slain by the wicked one. And that has seemed to set the tone for all of history. Think about some of the events of this week. We talk about a man who has ties to Milwaukee who decided to get on a plane in New York, throw out a smoke bomb, and just start firing bullets at people on the train or in the train station. None of those people... Um, he had no right to try to kill them, and he tried to. From what I hear, none of them have died, so praise God for that. But it is the righteous who are killed all the day long. We live in a, in a crazy world where the righteous suffer, and that's, that's the nature of this world that we live in, and it's going to keep on happening. But what he says is, even though that's the case, verse 37, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even though we suffer through injustice in this world, and we will continue to suffer through those things, God has eternity for us, and he will bless, and he will reward, and he will make us conquerors. We can thank God for those things um, that's written in, in his word today, and we can pray to him in thankfulness. I pray that you will remember that and... and um, Remind yourself of that as you pray tonight. God has blessed. God has rewarded. God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And, and he, has, he has given us hope of eternity and hope of eternal life. Good evening, saints. Going to be continuing our meditation through the Gospel of John. We come to chapter 4. And we know that this book is about believing in him. And so we saw in chapter 1, we saw Jesus revealed. We saw in chapter 2 that his mother wanted Jesus to prove that he was a Christ to people who didn't know he was a Christ. That, that wasn't his purpose. Chapter 3, he humbles a man in order that that man might believe. And then we get into chapter 4, which is interesting in a lot of different ways. So let's read chapter 4. 
It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water said here, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you see? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, and there comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering food for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Here the saying holds true, One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior. 
Galilee. And it said he had to go to Samaria. And we know that most times when Jews made journeys, they did not go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. And there's a historical reason for that. A lot of people say Samaritans are half-Jews, and that really is not really but it's not. So here's what a Samaritan is. You remember when the the kingdom was divided in two? Right? The kingdom was divided in two when Rehoboam came back and he said he's going to raise the taxes that Solomon already had that were high, right? There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. What was the southern kingdom's name? It was Judah, right? So eventually everybody who lived in Judah was called a Jew. And everybody that was in Israel was called an Israelite. places you might hear it called Ephraim. Why is it called Ephraim? Because Ephraim was the strongest tribe of the ten tribes that broke away. Why was Paul so proud to be a Benjamite? Because he could call himself a Jew. Judah and Benjamin stayed true and worshiped at the temple of God, which was the only prescribed way that God gave them to worship. Samaria, which was the northern kingdom, established a new temple because they were afraid that their people would leave and go worship in Jerusalem and eventually regain allegiance back to the Davidic line. They didn't want that, so they established their own religion. And so the prophets, especially prophets like Hosea, prophesied against them for doing it. And that's why there's a big difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. Actually, nationally, if you looked at them, they're the same people. One is called Jews, one is called Samaritans. The biggest hatreds that we got in the world are people that me and you probably couldn't tell the difference to. So it is here. So it is here. You might say, where well, Samaritans are half breeds and things like that. Over history, yes. But over the history, so did the Jews, right? I mean, look at what happened in the Israel. Israel was talking about how they were all divided. So the point is, is that some people say they have race. That's technically not true. Have these Samaritans and we have these Jews that don't get along. And Jesus is with this woman. And the first thing he does is he opens up conversation with her. He asks her for a drink. Now you may be saying, well, you know, that's kind of weird for him to ask that. But that's actually a social thing to ask for a drink. If you look back in the Old Testament, remember Abraham's servant went? He asked her for a drink. Who did he end up running into? Rebecca, right? It was considered to be kind of like, hey, I'm your people. You help me out. Can you give me a drink? It's kind of like going to your neighbor. Can I get sugar, right? It's considered to be neighborly. So for her, it was shocking that he would treat her in a neighborly way. No different than somebody who go, I don't know, somebody who don't like Arabs going to the gas station and say, how you doing, brother? stuff in the 8th century. Islam is entirely cultural. Christianity is not. The second thing he does is 
cultural divide between him and her. And he says, hey, if you knew who was asking you, you wouldn't just give, you say, hey, what can you give me? And she's focused on her physical needs, like most people are, right? Most unsaved people are focused on their physical needs. She say, okay, well, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Right now, she's kind of bantering with him a little bit. say that yet. He says, everybody who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. I can give you eternal life. Now Jesus presents this eternal life. She said, oh man, that's good. I want that. part of the story because when she said that you can tell it's almost like said like with a blush like uh, I don't got no husband yeah, oh yeah you right Jesus didn't say <clears throat> he said I know and I'm going to tell you to low down on you she said whoa you a prophet so then she tried to divert the issue away from her sense of shame right hey what about what mountain should we worship on goes back to that historical thing. The Samaritans established their own religious system, and people really believed that. Jesus, some people would say he dodges the controversy. He really doesn't. He doesn't answer. He said, this is not the mountain. You Samaritans are wrong. But God is reaching out for something more than just his physical temple. And in this he abolishes the whole Jewish system. You notice that? He said, we ain't worried about the temple. Yes, you have been wrong. And salvation is of the Jews, but do you realize that God is calling for something more than that? It's people who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not the rites is not following religious practices, is not repeating the same rituals that will save you. 
something in here. She asked him, you heard about this Messiah? I'm here. Immediately she goes. And I believe at that point she became saved. She goes and she becomes saved. But here's the thing that's interesting about salvation. You don't have to know a lot to share a lot. You notice that? How much education in Christianity does she have right now? five-minute conversation, right? She just go and she share what she knows. She doesn't know every answer. She doesn't need to answer every objection. Hey, I met a man who tells me everything I ever did. It seems like that's kind of an exaggeration. Don't get me wrong. But she knows how to sell it, right? But she's telling from her perspective what happened. She t can tell that he knows everything she did. That's actually not a lie, right? But he can tell me everything I did in my life. He knows I had five husbands. Who, know, who else knows that? Some of the people in town knew, but not everybody knew. They're like, he knew everything about you? You did a lot of stuff, girl. But he knew everything. It's not about me. Wait, wait, don't focus on me. Focus on him who knows the secrets. Focus on him who reveals the heart. So a lot of people believe because of her. And they come out and see Jesus and they say, now we no longer believe because of you. We believe because of him. So what is the book about? about believing. But I want to also consider that this chapter is kind of like a slap in the face too. Because we've met Pharisees who have not believed. We've met disciples who at first didn't believe. Remember? Nathaniel was like, what a good can come out of Galilee. His own mother was kind of throwing a little bit of shade on him at the wedding. Nicodemus came and said, what? How can these things be? Who believes him? even be here. They didn't ask him that in Samaria. People who had the wrong religion, people who were worshiping God the wrong way for hundreds of years, what did they say? We believe this is the Christ. But what did people who were locked in their religious system, who had studied the Old Testament for decades, what did they do? They rejected That's where the belief is. Yes, it's a chapter about belief. continued on even at the end of the chapter where this official believes this official from Caesarea comes and believes who's to say that's even a Jew let's think about an official as almost if I went to a Black Lives Matter person I was telling them how a policeman got saved that's what this is an official got saved Samaritans got saved. Where the Jews? That's the question, isn't it? All right. Michelle, what is on your heart prepared for? I'm praying for <coughs> the city. Um, 
and the world, I think there's a lot to pray for. Um, just thinking of a couple things with uh, the abortion issue and then also just the fight in our nation for our children. Those are two of my major ones. I'll also add to that too. Just pray for some of the hearts of some of the people that are not here tonight because there's no truth seekers. Some of the teachers chose not to be in attendance today. So pray for that as well because that's kind of on my heart as well. Um, who wants to pray with Michelle and I on that? So Michelle, start. Jamar, and then I'll finish. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Thank you for being able to come together um, even through rain um, and whatever comes that you have brought us here tonight and that we have this freedom to gather without uh, the threat of persecution from this. I just thank you for that. I pray uh, tonight lifting up our children. Um, there's so many in this church, dear Lord, and throughout the city and nation that um, Satan's really trying to, to pull them and um, mess them up at an early age um, through education, through school, through what is being shown, um, through entertainment, dear Lord. I pray that you would give us parents wisdom on how um, to, to raise our children, just give us wisdom in, in seeing what we should uh, expose our children to, what schools we should send them to, uh, whether we should educate them from home. God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom in that, but also I pray that you would give us opportunities to be witnesses to our neighbors and to the other children that maybe are friends with our, our kids, dear Lord, that we would be a light in a dark place as we go into the summer with um, the camps that we put on. I pray that you would just help us to build relationships with the community through that and, and have a, a place in these kids' hearts um, and minds that we would be able to speak truth to them and that you would just be preparing their hearts already um, for them to receive the gospel. I also think of how many people in our church are involved with um, Cross Trainers Academy, dear Lord, and that you would just work with them through that and knowing that they go home and, and see maybe stuff that is contrary to what they're being taught, dear Lord. I just pray that you would allow them to uh, just hold on to that truth that's being taught to them at school. I also just pray for the children inside um, the, the mother's wombs in this country, especially, dear Lord, that you would just protect them, uh, help mothers just to choose life for these these kids, and that through culture we would just make abortion seem like the horrific, um, horrific event that it is, dear Lord. And I just pray also for the abortion clinics throughout this this country, dear Lord, that you would just convict those uh, people committing the abortions that they would just feel the weight of the murders that they are committing, dear Lord, and that you would bring them to yourselves and that they would find forgiveness um, in the gospel uh, and that they would become vocal leaders against the practice, dear Lord. And I pray for those that are committing uh, infanticide in some of these abortion clinics, dear Lord, that you would also bring them to justice, that um, the, the courts would not turn a blind eye, that even though they are they're very vulnerable and maybe weren't wanted by their parents, God, they were still alive. And I pray that you would just open up the eyes to the, the, the clinicians um, and those that come across these cases, dear Lord, that you would just give them conviction to, to prosecute them and, and also just continue to protect those inside the womb 
um, that you would just bring them to life. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together tonight just to have this chance to pray and let the right request to you. But now I just pray for just the children in America right now and also just those in the world as we see this, this sharp turn after COVID of um, people looking to just push upon major life-changing decisions on kids at an early age to, um, first of all, explore their sexuality and also look at transgender, stuff like that. And just these big decisions on children that are not even um, double, double digits in age yet, the Lord. And it just shows that there's a, a push by Satan just to destroy lives earlier on um, as much as they can, the Lord. I just pray we just as Christians would first speak out against it and push back on it and show the fact that this is evil, ultimately. This is just a lifestyle of just people looking to attack children. And pray that we may realize this is what's behind all of this this movement of the homosexuality movement and the transgender movement, all just to destroy everyone, dear Lord, and not even having the option of making a decision as an adult is just being taken away now, dear Lord, and just pray we may realize that we need to vote for those that are going to push against these types of policies and these types of ideas, and also may realize even on a local level, this stuff is being pushed in our schools as well, dear Lord, that teachers nowadays are willing to push these ideas more than just teaching. And I just pray that we may look into uh, who is our teachers over our children, dear Lord, and what they actually believe, what they're actually trying to do, and if it's even wise to even be in these schools that are teaching this stuff, dear Lord. I pray also just for those that are involved with the truth seekers, that they are uh, a semi-school that's teaching um, kids in our church, dear Lord, about you and about the goodness of you, dear Lord, and just helping to push back against the stuff they learn in the world. Just pray for those teachers that aren't here tonight, dear Lord, that you would just uh, work on their hearts to realize the need to be at church even when there's not true secrets, the Lord, and bring their children as well. I just pray for other quests given tonight as well, that you would bless these and continue to push, continue to um, have us go out and just share your gospel, the Lord, and just ultimately um, change lives through you. In the name of Son Jesus, amen. Lord, we continue in prayer. We just continue to lift up and echo the prayer requests that have been brought to you tonight. We look at the attack upon the family and marriage that our, our world wants to do, that Satan wants to attack. He starts by attacking the lives of those little babies, helps um, the, the parents feel like they're not wanted and they don't value the, the, those lives and um, begins there. And then we have people in society that are all for it. They're all for coming up with whatever justification they can to um, allow a mother to kill a baby, which most likely was due to being sinful to begin with, um, being sexual outside of marriage, um, having different partners, Lord. And we just continue to ask that you continue to work on the lives of lawmakers and, and the lives of people um, as they want to make that decision, that you discourage that. You work in the, the words of the people at the abortion clinics. I think of Joel as he's out there and ministering to people, Lord, in our Terry one-hour ministry, that you continue to just speak through those people to the lives of people that want to make that decision and make such a horrible, careless decision for human life. Lord, I ask that you continue to be with our children. Um, our society is constantly trying to um, point them away from a life that glorifies you, point them away from how people are created, Tell them they can be any certain way, any certain gender. Um, 
teach sexuality in the schools to little children that shouldn't even be worried about that stuff at their age. Lord, you just know the wickedness. It's not anything new. The society's continuing to try to do what it wants to, contrary to um, what you have created, which is right and just and holy. We ask you to continue to just work in that. Continue to guard our little ones. Continue to guard the little ones of the parents who are your people. Um, allow them to continue to watch and shepherd their children and point them in the right direction and minister to them and what's right and continue to just build them up. Continue to build up your church to be a support for those parents. Continue to, in all opportunities, point those children in the right direction. I think of our truth seekers. We ask you to continue to just bless that ministry. Bless the children as they go. I know it's in our church. It is a great joy for the children and it's a chance that they can focus on you. We ask that you continue to just bless that ministry. We ask that you be with any of the teachers that aren't here. They have a conflict for whatever reason, Lord. We ask that you help resolve it. If it's a motivation issue, we also ask that you just tug on their hearts, tug on their hearts on the, the wrong motivations that we, we, we applaud them for being willing to help and help with the truth seekers, but we also want to urge them that even though there isn't truth seekers, that forsaking fellowship isn't something that should be occurring as well. So we ask you to continue to work in their hearts, continue to bless this ministry, and just continue to bless these children. In your name we pray. Amen.